just a note, actually. I have a, uh, a three-year-old uh, real action WrestleMania figurine, so I will uh, do my best to keep this as short as possible uh, because the uh, kind soul that's leading uh, Project Light today is having to uh, deal with him. Uh, that in mind, uh, let's jump in. Uh, I'm going to do a series over the next four weeks uh, looking at uh, the tensions of faith. The things that uh, we don't often stop long enough to consider uh, inside of the Christian faith that often cause us the most trouble. Uh, today we are going to kick off by talking about doubt. Uh, all, of us, all of us walk with doubt. Uh, in some shape or form, uh, we doubt. Uh, I think if you're human, you have doubts. Uh, you know something to be true. And then you're fairly sure, and then you aren't so sure anymore because something is, is plaguing that reality. Something's invading what you thought was true, right? There's a, there's a process there that happens. Uh, sometimes it, it seems like uh, the picture of a great Christian, a great leader, someone that people look up to uh, in our day and age is actually someone who doesn't doubt, right? Someone who's just rock solid, they are just absolutely sure about everything uh, and, and, and they've got a plan, right? This is what we're doing, this is where we're going, this is how we're going to get there and I am 100% confident of that, right? Like that's, that's the kind of person that we all go, I wish I was a little bit more like that because it doesn't always feel that way for me and, and it doesn't seem to fit with our reality or, or even... Uh, more deeply, it doesn't fit with our humanity. Uh, let's think about this for a second. In, in most hero movies, the, the real enemy doesn't seem to be the enemy, does it? The real enemy in, in hero movies uh, is actually the doubt that the hero faces as they prepare for a victory, right? Like, where does the tension come from? The tension, a lot of the time, doesn't really come from or oh, there's, this, there's this bad guy over there and we're all really afraid of them, the tension comes from the hero going for a walk down a dark street, you know, like the day before they know they've got to face this thing and they're plagued and they thought they knew something to be true and all of a sudden something's invading that reality and they're just not so sure anymore, right? And, and everyone's going, are you really... Are, are you, are you going to be able to do it, man? Like, are you going to be able to step up when you're needed, right? Are you going to be able to come through? Because I'm just not, I'm just not so sure uh, because something's invading that reality. There's doubt there. Now, now the, the, the problem here is that it's not just in the movies. It's not just the world around us, but it's actually the world inside of us as well. And we, we live with this. We live with this reality, sitting in these chairs, in this slightly hot hall, we live within this reality right now. We live with doubt. We walk through life with doubt. And the trouble is that it's always a personal experience. And it's really, it's really quite often connected to our own pain and our own suffering. It's not just a logical equation, right? A lot of the time when we think about doubt, we just think logically. Let me, uh, let me give you a couple of examples. I remember a friend who struggled with doubt uh, uh, in his faith uh, and, and having a conversation with him uh, a little while ago um, and, and 
just trying to press inside of what was going on for him and the frustrations that he had. And I remember him questioning uh, particular scriptures and, and how do you really know these things are true and, and, uh, and presenting these doubts. And after just spending enough time having a conversation, um, he, he was addicted to pornography and he couldn't overcome it. And there was a doubt underneath that that said, if I can't overcome this, do I even know that God's powerful enough to do anything in my life? It's like, what? Like, what? what's that got to do with anything? Right? And there was a doubt that in, was invading his faith and invading that reality that was crippling everything for him. For me, for me personally, I think that uh, I've always expected that in some way, uh, my, my real dad could have been this terrific father to me. Had we somehow reconnected or had he stuck around for long enough, I, I always, I, I feel like in some sense I worship the idea of me and my dad having this great relationship. And that's, that never happened. And that is not true for me. I do not have a great relationship with my father. So there's, there's pain there. And underneath that pain, right, underneath that reality for me sits a whole bunch of doubt. If, if my earthly father can't love me and doesn't care for me and won't come after me, then, then how can a father that I've never seen or never known? Now you could say, but Matt, logically speaking, here's an answer for you, right? And I'd love you to come and do that to me afterwards. I'd really appreciate that. <laughs> you can laugh. That's a joke. Uh, uh, or you could say, wow, actually, there's a whole lot of pain there. And that pain is bringing to the surface some really significant doubts that are trying to cripple your faith, right? And this is the reality that we're walking in. We walk in a reality of doubt. Here's one, uh, here's one that uh, a lot of us might walk through. What if when I die, he doesn't take me, right? What if when I die, I stand before God and I hear the words that, that Jesus quotes, I think, in Matthew 7. I never knew you. Right? Like, I, do we just, what do you do with that? I, I never knew you. You cast out demons, you heal people, but I, sorry, I, I never actually really knew you. I, uh, I don't know, Matt. I'm not sure what to do about that. I'm actually going to just move as quickly as I can past that. And I'm just going to keep going on with the rest of my life now. If we can not come back to that, that would be really great. We don't ever really stop long enough uh, to question some of these things. What do I need in the middle of that? What do I need? Do I need to just argue with myself and rationalize it away? Well, Matt, um, when, you, when you map it all out here, no, I don't think that's what we need. I think that's a part of it, but I think there's actually more that we need in the middle of doubt. Now, one more thing that, that makes this difficult is we have a tendency, us here, this, as Christians, as, as humans, to live and relate with each other in ways that actually prevent us from addressing our doubts. We live as if ignorance ever actually cured something, don't we? Right? It's like, you, you know what that's like, right? We, we've all, we all know that story. A friend mentions they've got like a medical concern and you're sort of like, well, that's actually... That's pretty significant. Uh, what do you say? Have you seen a doctor yet? Right? Like that's, someone mentioned something and we're like, oh my, like, are you sure? Have you seen a doctor yet? 
and they say, oh, I'm just going to wait and see, right? I'm just, I'm just going to wait and see. We'll see how it pans out. As if, as if like the doctor wants you to wait until it's really bad. Like, I, I, I'm just going to wait and see. That's not a great solution, isn't it? It's not a great solution for anyone. Failing to identify our doubt, uh, or, or worse still, denying that it exists, is a great way to cripple your faith. It'd be a great way for you to, to stunt and cripple the faith uh, that you hold most dearly. Tell me you have no doubts, and I will tell you that you haven't looked hard enough. Why, why are you envious? Because you doubt God's goodness towards you? Why are you angry? Because you doubt his justice? Why are you sad? Because you doubt his closeness? Right? Doubts sit underneath our faith. Um, Oz Guinness gives us a really helpful starting place uh, in his book, uh, Into Minds. Um, If ours is an examined faith, we should be unafraid to doubt If doubt is eventually justified, right? So if doubt is solved, we were believing what clearly was not worth knowing. But if doubt is answered, our faith has grown stronger. It knows God more certainly and can enjoy God more deeply. Do you understand that, right? Like if doubt is justified, well then it wasn't worth believing that in the first place. But if doubt is actually resolved... And answered, our faith gets stronger. Let me, uh, let me illustrate this in a few ways. Uh, ever heard of the fact that uh, when, a, when you break a bone, it heals stronger? Who's heard of that? Hands up. Come on, loud and proud. Okay, who believes that? Keep your hands up. All right, it's false. Um, I'm sorry to, sorry to break your heart. I always thought that. I broke my collarbone when I was younger, and I've got a pin in it, and I'm like, I've got like a little bit of like a robot in me, and like I can shoulder charge a tree if I want. It's not true. Uh, it, it's, there's like a little medical reaction that happens during healing. While the bone is still healing, the body sends like an intense amount of calcium, I think, to that spot to help it to heal. So for like a, a moment, it is stronger than the surrounding area, but then it heals and you're no better off, right? So don't go thinking that you're some superhuman because you've got a big lump in your elbow or, or your arm. I'm sorry to break that one, but, but instead... Think about it this way. Think about what it means to grow muscle. How do you grow muscle? Well, the, the first way is you be alive and you're under 24, right? Because your body's still developing. You're still growing. So all of you, well done. Uh, you're growing muscle. But to everyone else, uh, I think men, they stop growing at 24. Women, 25. Uh, all of the rest of us, we have to do something to actually grow muscle. Your body... Uh, 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 your body needs to be doing things. How do you grow muscle? Well, you put it under pressure, right? Like we know this. You, you, you grow muscle by, by tensing and stretching the muscle so much that it experiences little micro tears along the muscle fiber, right? You're, you're, you're tensing and you're stretching your muscles to the point where the muscle is starting to tear a little bit. And there's little tears that happen throughout the, the fibers of your muscle uh, and it hurts but it helps, doesn't it? It hurts, that's painful, that's uncomfortable, I don't like that, but as a result, it's helpful. I, I'm, I'm more capable of living. I'm more capable of being a human. I can, 
bend down and I can lift a box or I can throw a ball or I can walk along the street, right? As I grow my muscle, I'm more capable of living as a human in the world around me. So when I get hit by a car, I just take it in the leg, right? No, that's what every young man says in the gym, right? <laughs> I got this. It's like, it's not good. it doesn't work that way, right? You're going to need a knee reconstruction and life's going to hurt for 70 years. But stick with the analogy, okay? You become more capable of living. So what are we going to do about our doubts? I, I think we need to start the conversation by seeing that doubt isn't this second-rate experience for, for failing Christians or for undiscerning Christians uh, or for faithless Christians. And it's not something that we ignore either. We all walk through it and we all need to face it. So how do we engage with our doubts in a way that allows us to grow? Just like someone who's training their physical body, right, engages with the pain of their muscles in order to help them to grow. How do we engage with doubt like that? How do we allow doubt not to become something that cripples us, but that actually helps us to grow and to flourish? And there's, there's two ways to look at this. Now, these aren't necessarily distinct ways, um, but they are connected, but there are also differences here. Um, and, and we're going to illustrate this in a second. The first way is this, intellectually. This is the obvious one. When, when you uh, think about doubt in your mind, this is where most of us will go straight away. When I uh, present to you a doubt... You will uh, do your best, you will reason in your mind, you'll, you'll step back and you'll say, well, actually, here's the answer, right? Because this is, this is how we're used to responding. Someone has a doubt and we have a resolution. You doubt this thing to be true, so you solve that by making an intellectual case, by using reason. I thought I could get through life okay, but now that I've seen a daddy long legs, I'm not so sure. Yes, they're scary, but no, daddy long legs can't actually kill you because they can't pierce human skin with their fangs. Ah, resolved, right? So I thought I could get through life okay. Then there's a doubt. I saw a daddy long legs. And then there's a resolution. Well, Matt, in fact, they're too small. Their fangs can't pierce your skin. You're fine. Ah, see, right? I've, I've reasoned and I've used my intellectual mind to solve uh, a doubt that I had. Now, that's nonsense, right? But that's an example. Think about this a little bit further. Genesis 3. When the serpent talks to Eve, what does he say? He said to the woman, right? We're in the garden, and Adam and Eve are being tempted by the serpent. What does the serpent say? Did God actually say... You shall not eat of any tree in the garden. What is he doing? I knew something to be true, and now all of a sudden I am not so sure about it. Right? And what do you like, instinctively do straight away? Yes, God said that, right? Intellectually, I'm making a reason. Like I'm trying to resolve this doubt over here by saying, this is what I knew to be true. I'm being tempted here. I'm being tested. Did God actually say? Someone is pushing in side of what I knew to be true, and I'm starting to doubt it, what do you, what's the next thing you do? Yes, he said that. And I'm using my reason. 
Now, let, let, me, um, let me give an example of this. Uh, um, uh, Lou, Luke, do you want to stand up, Lee? Okay. Come up here. Come up here, Shake. Just run out, run out the front. Let's have a look at young Lukey. And I'm going to make a statement, and I want you to uh, resolve this for me. This boy can pick me up, right? Yes or no? Yes? Okay, yeah, got, we've got some confidence there. No, he can't pick me up. Okay, cool, that's good. Uh, you can sit, just sit here for a sec. Now, what's happening? What's, what's happening there? Let, let me make another statement as an example. Uh, I was going to bring three knives, but I thought that would, that would be a dumb thing. And I was going to say to you, I can juggle three knives. So hands up, yes. Okay, hands up, no. Okay, that's great. You, you are using reason. And, and I'll, I'll close this in a second. Let me give you one more, a, a statement. I hold a world record. Yes. Okay. There's some strong reason there. I'm a little offended. That's fine. And no... Okay, that's great, that's great. What's happening there? What are you doing? With those statements, you are producing a doubt, but that doubt isn't just an absence of truth. Like that doubt that you're forming, when I make a statement, this boy can pick me up, it's not just an absence of truth, you are actually forming and believing an alternate truth. Do you understand that? So when I say to you, he can pick me up, you're not just saying... Well, no, we can't. You're actually saying there's something behind that. There is a truth behind that that's informing that, right? So you're not just responding to my, my initial statement. You're actually forming a statement of your own. So when I say to you, this boy can pick me up, you're saying, no, he can't. Here's the reason, right? You are, you are reasoning with me to produce an alternate truth. So doubt isn't just... When we think about Christian doubt, we think about an absence of truth. Well, I don't know what to be true anymore. That's not what it is. Christian doubt is you believing an alternate truth and that is the thing that you're believing more than this. Does that make sense? So when I say to you, I can juggle a knife or three knives, you say, you don't just say, no, you can't, Matt. You say, I don't believe he's coordinated enough. I don't believe he should be playing with knives and I believe if he tries that here, he'll injure someone, right? Like you're forming an alternate reality and that's the way that doubt works. When people doubt or lose their faith, it isn't that they start using reason, right? We, we think about that so much. It's like, oh, I've given up with God. I'm, I'm going to start thinking with my head now. That's not what's happening there. It's simply that they're confessing faith in something else. That's all they're doing. There is another reality that you're believing and having faith in that is colliding with this one and it's creating doubt. In, the first, in this scenario right here with, with, Luke, with Lucas, you're believing that in most cases, children aren't fully formed adults, therefore they don't have enough strength to pick up really heavy objects. Now we're going to prove you wrong, aren't we? You want to have a try? Bend your knees, lock your back in place. Look at that, look at that. See? Thanks, mate. Now, all you doubters out there can take a lesson, can't you? 
Now think about, let's jump back to what I said earlier, about the doubt of being rejected by my heavenly father, because that's what happened with my earthly father. What, what is the belief that I'm clinging to underneath that? You see how that's what you actually, that's the question you need to ask. You don't just stop and say, well, no, Matt, here's what's true. What I actually need to do is ask, well, what's, what, what's the alternate reality that you're clinging to underneath that doubt that, that you're making bigger than what's true? Well, ultimately, I, I think, as I've reflected on this, I think that the reality that I'm, that I'm believing over here is that it's my works that will save me and make me enough before God. In, in clinging to that reality, in clinging to that truth, I doubt that God really loves me, not for what I've done, but I'm doubting that He really loves me because of what He's done. You see that? And, and that reality is, is bigger to me, this reality of Matt performing and, and, and winning God's favor and winning His love that reality is bigger to me than the reality over here that says, Matt, don't you get it? That's what grace is, right? And that is bigger, and that's a doubt, right? But it's more than a doubt. It's, it's another truth entirely. And that's really, really significant. We need, what, what do we need to do? We need to doubt our doubts. That's that's what we need to begin to do. In the middle of doubt, we need to doubt our doubts. Um, if, you wanna, if you wanna explore that a little bit further, uh, Tim Keller has a great book uh, called Making Sense of God, An Invitation to the Skeptical, where he uh, addresses some regular, common denominator doubts that people face. Like, uh, what, what about when you meet a really happy atheist? Right? Now that sounds silly, but you, you meet someone who is so content with their life and they're an atheist and they're happy. And you look at them and you go, I'm not happy. What, like, what am I doing wrong? Like, what, what's going on here, right? And, and it starts to cause doubt or, or uh, the doubt that comes when, uh, when a, a Christian whom you love dearly experiences great suffering. Right? And you're like, man, but... They did everything right. And you just go, what? Like, what, what is that supposed to mean? Uh, anyway, it'd be great if, you're, uh, if you want to read a little more to read uh, some of that book. Um, let me show you a video, and then I want to jump into the second way that uh, we, or the way that we think about doubt less. So intellectually is the first main way that we uh, respond and interact with doubt, is by using our reason as we... We have a truth and then we have a doubt and then we try and respond to it. Um, and I, I've suggested that one of the ways we need to begin to engage there is by doubting our doubts, by looking and examining the doubt in the middle and actually trying to pull back the curtain to say, well, what's the truth that sits behind that reality? What, what is it that's informing that? Because that's what I really need to know. And that's where I can begin to put my doubt on the table and really see it. Um, but there's a second way and I want to um, show you a video before we show it. Uh, there are hyenas. Um, so if you've got young kids, there are hyenas and they're playing with a lion. Uh, and the hyenas, they don't, not, there's no, uh, uh, there's no uh, blood, uh, so there's nothing graphic, uh, but 
they do nip it a little bit, so it's a, it's a little bit, uh, you can explain it to them, they're, just, they're wrestling, um, but the, the sound of the hyenas isn't, um, you know, hyenas sound a little bit ominous, so uh, yeah, if you've got really small kids, you, you could uh, take them out the back, but it's not, it's not that bad, it's BBC, so it's fine. Right? Yeah, yeah, he loses a leg, and then he, uh, go for it, Rob. As they mature, young males begin to explore the boundaries of the pride's territory. Red has ventured out alone. straight into the middle of the hyena clam. <laughs> He's trapped by over 20 of them. could kill him. to fight the mirror at once. He can't keep them at bay for much longer. He's tiring fast. Sorry, that doesn't resolve at all. What? Uh, sorry, what actually happens? That's a tragedy. What actually happens is uh, one of his uh, uh, buddies comes and rescues him. So he's surrounded by hyenas. Uh, uh, like, like literally the very next shot is uh, one of his mates hears the commotion and looks over and runs in um, and starts throwing some hyenas around. And, uh, and, and they, they literally, they, with the two of them, uh, they are able to overwhelm these hyenas and, and chase them away. And I think that, uh, why do I show that? I don't normally show uh, uh, too much media, but I think that helps us to get a, a much uh, closer picture of what doubt is really like. B- because what is doubt really like? When we think about doubt, um, I don't think it's doing it justice for us to think linearly. Oh, well, A uh, and then B happens and then C. No, no, we need to think about it as if uh, what, what, is, what is that lion feeling in that moment? He's feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling surrounded. I'm feeling like things are attacking me from every side, right? 
And it's almost like, well, we're in the territory of the Psalms now, aren't we? Right? What is really going on? I'm feeling surrounded. I don't really care about an answer to this problem right now. I, I, I'm just, I'm feeling like there's 20 different animals biting at my legs and I don't know what to do. I'm just not sure about anything. So here's the second way that we need to consider doubt and I'll, I'll just uh, move through this quite quickly. I want to tell you three short stories about how Jesus interacts with our doubt and how Jesus moves towards us in our doubt. First one is Mark 9. You can read the full stories here later, but I'm just going to give you uh, the, the interaction and then how we need to learn to respond to doubt. Uh, Mark 9 is uh, the disciples try and cast a demon out of a boy uh, and they can't do it. So Jesus comes over and, and asks uh, the dad, uh, what's going on here? Uh, and then they have this conversation. Uh, and uh, he says, this is the father says to Jesus, um, Jesus says, how long has this been happening? Dad says, from childhood, it is often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, right? If you can, exclamation, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. So the, the boy's father comes to Jesus and they have this, this little interaction. If you can, and the father responds, he, he responds immediately, he says, I believe, but help my unbelief. And what does Jesus do? He casts the demon out of this boy and reaches out his hand. Right? The boy convulses and falls on the ground and Jesus reaches out his hand to this boy and he brings him to life. I believe Jesus, but help my unbelief. What do we hear within this man's plea that helps us to learn to engage with doubt? I believe, but there are parts of me that are still at war within me that, that sometimes feel like I'm, I'm tearing in half, that sometimes feel like my heart is actually betraying itself. Will, will you help me? Will you help the parts of my heart that are unwilling and stubborn and rebellious, unbelieving. At this point, he is just way down the road from an intellectual response, isn't he? Jesus doesn't say to him, come on, man, do you realize how inconsistent this is? I mean, logically, that's not even possible. Like, it's, you know, like, he doesn't, he doesn't go down that road with him, does he? No, Jesus reaches out his hand and he moves towards this father and, and the boy. Let's look at another one. Matthew 14, 22. This is uh, the disciples get into a boat uh, and they begin to cross uh, the, the sea uh, while Jesus is like finishing up a, a conversation uh, with crowds or, or finishing up a, uh, some teaching with crowds. Uh, he goes up to pray. Uh, the sea gets a bit rough. Uh, just, it's a bit wild. And the disciples are in the boat. They look out and they see this figure on the water uh, walking out to them, right? Uh, and, and this is Jesus walking out to the, to the disciples on the water. Um, when the disciples see him, they were terrified and they say, it's a ghost. Uh, and then they have this conversation. And Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Listen to this, verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. 
and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You see what's going on there? Right? This, this doubt that, that uh, he's encountering is actually forming an alternate reality for him. Oh man, if I, if I go under, like I'm in big trouble here. Right? Like these are terrifying conditions. If anything happens to me, I'm, I'm done. Like my life is on the line here. And that reality becomes bigger to him than, than the reality of Christ leading him to walk on the surface of water, right? Like that's a tremendous thing that's happening. But somehow still in the middle of that incredible experience, this doubt comes in and just smacks him and gives him this, this total shift, right? This alternate reality just like just fills the room for him. And he's like, I, I could die. If I go down here, it's all over. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. A different reality collides with what he was experiencing. What does he do? He cries out. And what does Christ do? He reaches out his hand. Doesn't he? He reaches out his hand. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Do you, do you think about this, the way we engage with our doubts? Do you cry out in your doubt? Do you take your doubts seriously enough and allow yourself long enough to cry out to Jesus? Or, or do you quickly quiet them, quieten them? Quick, just, just put that away. I've got just the generic response for you right like how do you engage with your doubts do you actually allow them to the surface of your faith and out around you for long enough that you can actually begin to examine them now what about brothers and sisters in community how do you respond do people have enough grace from you to even voice their doubts or are they quickly stifled and smothered with pat answers? What do we like as a community with this? Let us stand beside one another in our doubts and allow Christ to come and reach out his hand. How's Christ going to grab their hand if we're always slapping it away? What nonsense. That's nonsense. Here's what's true. Believe this. Like, I, mean, I can't even just doubt for a, a moment. We need this. We need this in Christian community. Let's look at one more. John 20, verse 24, 29. This is uh, the, after the resurrection. Jesus has uh, come alive. The women have discovered the tomb empty. Some of the disciples have seen the tomb. And then uh, they're meeting, and Jesus appears uh, to all of the disciples except for Thomas. And they tell him that. And he says, come on, guys. Come on. Now, now listen to what he says to them. Verse 25, so the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails or place my finger into the marks of nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. <laughs> what? Like that's a pretty strong statement. Like that is, that is significant. Like that's a roadblock. That's a really big roadblock there. Unless I place my finger into his hand, I will never believe. And verse 27, listen to how Jesus responds. I'll, I'll read you the, the, the two preceding verses. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, 
and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Now listen to this. Then he said to Thomas, what does he say to Thomas? What does he say? Does he say, didn't you hear me, Thomas, time and time and time again, how I told you what I was going to do? I told you I was going to die, didn't I? I told you I was going to rise again. I told you that I was the Messiah. I told you that I was the Son of God, right? Is that what he does? So Thomas, get your head right. No. What does he say to Thomas? He reaches out his hand and he says, Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas falls on his face. My Lord and my God. The great hope for us this morning is that Jesus comes towards our doubt and he reaches out his hand to us. So if you're doubting, if you have doubts that you are wrestling with in your heart and and in your head, the great hope for you this morning is that Jesus is moving towards you. He's not moving away from you. You might have experienced that in community. People move away from you. Oh, you've got these concerns and we don't really know how to address those, so we're just going to move straight past that. That's not what Jesus does. He reaches his hands out toward you to meet you and to relate with you. So how do we engage with our doubt? Let let me bring it home with this. If, If a man doubts his wife's faithfulness. So if a woman doubts his, uh, a woman is her, a woman doubts her husband's faithfulness. Sorry, a little bit of a gender bender there for a second. That uh, the way for him to assure himself isn't to check phone records and to stalk her around the shopping center, right? Like that's not the way for him to assure himself of her faithfulness. That is not the way, right? The way that he assures himself is for him to know her so well and so deeply and so intimately that he can look at her and say, I know this woman, she is faithful and she is mine, right? And for a woman, the men, the same way, it's not for someone to scope someone out and stalk them, it's for them to know them so intimately that they can say with all of their heart, I know this woman, She is faithful. So the way that we engage with our doubt is to know Jesus so well and so deeply and to know what he's like and to know how he responds to us and to know his compassion and to know his grace towards us that when another reality comes colliding with that, what do we say? We say, I know him so well. He is faithful. When doubt comes knocking, when doubt comes colliding with the reality that we know as God's kids... We, we know Jesus. We are so immersed that we say, no, I, I know him. And that's not what he's like. And what is that? That is not an intellectual response, is it? That's a relationship. I know Jesus so deeply. I have cried out to him so many times. He has responded to me. He has transformed me. That I know that is not what he's like. And, and what, you know what, one of the ways that we know that is through community. The way we represent Jesus to one another. So please, let us be gracious and inviting to hear one another's doubts. And be slow to speak in response. 
Let us extend a hand to one another in doubt. This, week, this week's Freeloader Week. This is the week where we don't meet in community groups for the sake of taking deliberate time to invite neighbours over and, and, and hear about their lives and show them the grace of Jesus. Man, like, perhaps when you're doing that, you can invite someone around and you can, you can ask them about their doubts. Right? Like, hey, you're not Christian. What, what are the big doubts you've got there? Right? Now, you're not going not to jump into it like that, but think about doubt. Think about having those kind of conversations. At the end of, of it all, our hope isn't in our ability to address our doubts. Our hope lies in our faith and our hope lies in a strong and capable saviour who holds us fast most surely when we can't hold ourselves. That is the gospel hope for us, that Jesus comes to us inside of our doubt and he uses it as a means of deeper and stronger relationship with him. Right? That's where we land this, is that Jesus comes towards you when you feel most weak and and you're doubting most deeply and he uses those doubts as a means of deeper and stronger communion with him that is a miracle and that's something that we celebrate i'm going to finish with a poem and then i'm going to pray uh i don't think we're singing today we're not singing today i'm going to finish with a poem this is going to be our creative way of responding to god let me read this to you this is from my favorite uh, poet, this is uh, John Piper writing a poem about Thomas uh, in a fictional setting after Jesus has ascended and, and after the disciples have been scattered and, and persecuted. Jerusalem lies, this is a little intro, Jerusalem jo- uh, lies in a black and bloody heap. The doubting apostle Thomas is preaching the gospel in India when news of the fall arrives. He rends his clothes and with his face to the floor asks why. The answer comes through the wisdom of a little boy. Let me read it. Jerusalem has fallen to the Roman torch and Titus slew. 10,000 Jews and burned the holy city black and turned the house of God to ashes. No, he snapped. I don't believe it so. The news had taken 80 days to reach along the Persian ways, the coast of India. The old apostle Thomas had been told the story by a caravan from Babylon, one Arab man, he thought, could get it wrong. But then the ships arrived and all the men from Egypt said the same. Rome crushed Mount Zion like a fig and hushed the zealot bellowing for war. The old apostle pushed the door and stepped inside the quiet room where Christ had come and lifted gloom and doubt for 20 years gone by. Ten hundred times the question, why? had risen like a lust inside his mind. Why his friend Judas lied and killed himself? Why James the son of thunder died when he had done no wrong and Simon who denied the Lord went free? Why Stephen cried out truth like Gabriel and got his head crushed in and not one person went to court? And why one night a brutal band should tie his hands and gag his mouth and sell him as a slave to Gunabel, a Hindu chief, in Vindahi, 4,000 miles from Galilee. 
And every time the question rose in Thomas' mind, the Lord who chose him came, still living from the dead, stretched out his hand and said, Come, my beloved skeptic, put your finger here, or feel my foot, or touch my side and do not doubt. If I was dead three days, burst out the tomb, slew death, defeated hell, turned gore into a gushing well of everlasting life, then I, dear Thomas, know the answer why. And even more, I am the whence and how and why of all events that ever were or will take place, the golden seal of sovereign grace. I'm going to stand as I read a benediction to us in closing. Let me pray first. Jesus, uh, would you allow us by the power of your Holy Spirit to bring uh, to the surface things that we doubt about? The, the questions and the concerns that, that plague the reality of our faith. Would you give us grace enough uh, to surface those and as a, as a community to love one another in the middle of our doubt? To love and move towards each other just as Jesus does. God, we confess our hope is that you move towards us in our doubt. You don't turn away. You don't move away from us. You don't rebuke us or quieten us. But you reach out your hand. And after you have suffered a little while... The God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Be blessed.